And now, Pastor Rick will share the second message in the Chasing God series, entitled, The First Stop. Okay, we're walking across the outer court of the temple grounds now. There at the temple. I mean, it's that close, right? I mean, you, you know what? Just a, a few steps up, and we're in the temple, the presence of God. We're that close. But there's first a stop we have to make. And that's, the, that's the title of the sermon today, the first stop, the first stop in the temple. I, I know it's so close, and we, we want to get there. Last week, we talked about approaching God and, and uh, how we approach God. Anybody rush to get to church this morning? Okay, go ahead. I, I, I just admit it. Yeah, yeah. I, well, probably nobody that was here last week would admit to it if they had. I was talking about how we rush to church. We don't even have our mind on that. You know, we, we bring an offering, like a couple of dollars or a check. You know, we just slip it in our pocket. It's real easy. But the Jewish families that came to the temple, it, they didn't have stuff they could slip in their pocket. I mean, they were dragging a lamb, you know, or they, were, they had a, a cage full of turtle dove or something, you know, that they were, had to sacrifice. They had to give thought. I mean, there was, it was processed to get to God. We just show up and expect God to, to be here, meet our needs, you know, make us feel good about everything going on in our life, you know, give us the direction, you know, answer this question, should I take this job or this job? We feel like God just ought to show up. We don't understand. And so now we're this close. Let me tell you just before, we're going to have a word of prayer in a moment. But just before we go through these doors, that's where we're going next week in this series on the temple. And everybody understand what the temple represents, right? I'm at the Old Testament temple. This is computer animation of the, the temple that Solomon built, King Solomon, who was the son of King David, who was the shepherd boy. Remember him? Uh, this was the first temple. This is computer, computer animation of this. Everybody remember, remembers, though, what the temple of the Old Testament symbolizes to us. Where's the temple today? Where's the temple? Okay, good, good. Some of you are pointing. Say, right here, this is it. The Word of God tells us, as, as a Christian, you are the temple of God. And so if you're a Christian today, then, then you're a temple of God. So everything we're talking about with a temple is about you. I mean, th- this right here symbolizes you and your relationship with God and the things God wants to do in your life. And then right inside these doors, there are some awesome things in there. And I'd like to tell you about a few of them, but that's next week's sermon. I'd like to tell you about all the good stuff that God wants to do for you. I mean, there are, there are needs he wants to uh, meet. There are uh, questions he wants to answer. There are prayers that, that uh, you've been praying. As Trey said, you've been praying and praying, and, and they're just on the other side of that door. All, the, all that, I can't tell you too much of that because that's next week's sermon. And because first, before we can walk through those doors, we have to make this first stop, this first stop. You don't just wander through and run into the presence of God. Even though that's what we think we'd... Isn't that why maybe nothing is really happening with our lives? We come to church week in, week, after, week, in and week out, week after week, and, and nothing changes. I mean, we're standing in the... Pre- other people are worshiping, looks like. Other people are getting their needs met. And then we wonder, maybe, maybe it's because we rush in. and We're not taking care of the approach like last week. We're not taking care of this first stop. So today, we're going to take care of the first stop, all right? Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank God this was a great, awesome week that you gave us. And I just thank you, God, for uh, your spirit, Lord, that is with us today, Lord, just what a great worship already in, in this place. I know your presence is here. I have felt you here, God, in the early service, Lord, and now in this service, Lord. And I believe in you, God, do the same thing that you did in the early service. Do that now as well. Challenge us, God. Reach us. Call us, God. Grab, grab our attention, Lord. Arrest us in our thinking, God, and stop us to say, hey, wait a minute. I need to do this. God, let us all make this first stop today from the, from the youngest Christian to the oldest Christian. Let us all challenge ourselves and accept it, God, 
to make the first stop. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you, you, would, you would challenge us and lead us in this way. And God, we believe you, God, for a great move, a great move of your spirit in our spirits, Lord, in this service in Jesus' name. And everybody said, okay, now I've got to say this before we go on. I got to say this, you know, normally when you skip a service, like on Wednesday night, you know, we had, you know, they said that four letter word scares everybody to death, you know, gets rid of all the bread and all the milk off of the stores, you know, shelves. And, and then, you know, nobody gets out and even Mickey Ferguson, I did remember him saying, so I, I hate to say this, but please don't go to church tonight. So, I mean, you know, Mickey Ferguson is telling you guys to stay home. Well, we didn't have service. Normally I feel like when I get here on Sunday, man, it's been a long time since, you know, but we've had so much going on. We had some great small groups. Had a great time this Friday night. And then the devotions that we did. I mean, the devotions from the, in the blog this week. I, I just feel like we've connected all week long. And like we've just been building and getting ready for this worship service all week long. And if you're not reading those devotions when we send those out, please, by all means, read those and act on them and do them. Because, man, that's connecting us all week. And, it, and it's not like then we show up on Sunday, we have to start all over again. It's like, man, I feel like today... We're really picking up from where we left off last Sunday because we've been building all that on that all week long. So please do that. So I'm I'm glad that you're here. I got a lot of family here today. I don't know. Uh, I, I asked them, is somebody getting married this afternoon? Did somebody die? You know, why are we all here? Whatever. Got a lot of a lot of uh, friends here today, and I'm glad that glad that they joined us as well. And uh, and and I'm, they didn't bring their lunch. They they know my preaching. I was worried that they might have brought in their lunch or something, or at least a Snickers bar, you know, to get through that that last 45 minutes or something. But uh, I'm glad glad that they're here and I'm glad that you're here. Okay, so now let's move into the, to the inner court. All right, we're into the inner court and, and it, was, it was separated off like this. And, and in the inner court, there are two main articles, two main structures that are there. And uh, one is the, the uh, altar. You see the fire on it and it's a little fuzzy, but you, could, you can see it and, and, uh, as we try to zoom in. And then also the laver. And those are the two uh, structures that we're going to kind of talk about today and, and the things that happened at those two structures. And one of those at the, at the altar, the thing that happens at the altar, is sacrifice. Bloody sacrifice. Everybody say bloody. Now, I don't, mean, I don't mean bloody like the adjective that the Britons use, you know, to say bloody, you know, bloody bad or bloody. I mean bloody, you know, blood. You, you know, you cut yourself, red stuff comes out, gets all over the place. I mean bloody sacrifices. And the second is the cleansing. Okay, so, so let's, let's, let's get on to this because uh, we've, we've got to make this first stop because what we all want to do is we all want to get into that place and we want to get through the doors. I mean, that's what Trace was talking about. We want to get through the doors and we want to find, okay, where, where's my need? Where's those things? So let's get to this. So this, the first part of this is about the, the, uh, the altar right here. Um, and uh, the altar was... Uh, Huge. It was uh, uh, it was built big enough so that we could um, uh, they could hold many sacrifices on top of it all at once. Now they were uh, offering the sacrifices. You know, as people would come, there would be uh, not dozens, sometimes not hundreds, but sometimes thousands of sacrifices would be offered on, on this uh, on, the, on this on this altar. And, and, you know, it really looks pretty, doesn't it? I mean, uh, you know, some of you, you'd love to have a barbecue grill out in your backyard to look that good, wouldn't you? You know, I mean, you know made of brass and all of that. It's, it, it, it was an awesome structure. It was, it was a beautiful structure. But let me, let's read some scripture and see what this is really about in the book of Hebrews. It says, therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. There's that word, that blood word again. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Now, what we're talking about here in the book of Hebrews is they're referring back to the time before Solomon had built the temple that the computer animation is showing. 
Moses, when the children of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness, they didn't have a structure. They didn't have a, a building, this beautiful building that, that we see, you know, just really close to us now. They just had a tent. Okay, and, and the tent served as their temple. They called it the tabernacle, though. And so this tent that they had, and here's what Moses did, is he went to the tabernacle, and he was sprinkling, and he went to the people, and he was sprinkling, and he went inside the temple, or the tabernacle, and all the articles, the things that they used, you know, like uh, little tables that they had the, the showbread on and, and things like that that we'll talk about next week. And, and uh, you know, like, we've got offering bags, you know, we've got musical instruments and video equipment and computers and things, you know, and he was sprinkling, but he wasn't sprinkling it with perfume. He was sprinkling it with blood. Okay, I want you to get this. I mean, the computer animation can only do so much. I want you to understand it was not just a clean, you know, hey, here's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. You know, I mean, he was sprinkling with blood. Then likewise, he sprinkled the blood with the tabernacle, all the vessels of the ministry. Verse 22, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Meaning that you cannot be forgiven of your sin without shedding of blood. They could not, God could not overlook their sin without shedding of blood. There is no remission of sins. I'm going to stop there, Justin. I'm not going to go on with those next verses. I'm going to hold those uh, until another week. Without shedding, what, what, here's what I want you to understand. Is the inner court was not this, uh, it, it was not an operating room. You know, it, it wasn't all sterile. It wasn't all, and, and the pictures that we have, look up there at, at the altar that's right there. And, and I don't know if you can see that little bitty guy up there, the, the priest, and he's all dressed out. You know, he's, he's just really pretty in his white, you know. Hey, that white didn't stay white long when they started the sacrifices. How many of you ever grill out? Y'all ever grill out in your backyard or whatever, you know? Uh, Brian, where do you get your meat for your grill? Grocery store. You mean you don't slaughter it in the backyard and then just throw the thing up there on the grill? Yeah, sometimes... <laughs> And if you do, my wife doesn't want to come that day, okay? <laughs> listen, now, now listen, I've cleaned fish. Anybody ever cleaned fish? I've cleaned fish before. I've never cleaned a fish without getting some on me. You know, I've cleaned squirrel before. I, I offended a little girl during the service this morning. She couldn't believe I'd clean a squirrel. She just loves squirrels. And I said, how do you love them? You know, you like them barbecued? You like them grilled? You like them whatever? She, she said, I like them alive. You know, I've cleaned squirrel before. I've never cleaned a squirrel without getting some on me. But let me tell you something. I, I have never cleaned a cow. I've never taken a cow down in the backyard with a knife and just ripped him open and started pulling the guts out. Would y'all like to see that video right here of, no, we don't want to see it. Well, he didn't bring you one today, okay? I didn't want to gross anybody out. But I want you to understand, they weren't bringing meat from the butcher shop. They were bringing live animals, live animals. Y'all ever cleaned, y'all ever cleaned a squirrel? I mean, I mean, when you kill, I mean, it's. It's still warm when you clean into, I mean, you understand, you understand the grossness, you understand the dirtiness, you understand, you know, and the blood gets all over you. I mean, that's just with a squirrel, with a cow or with a, uh, trying to, you know, take a goat and hold a goat down and rip its guts out and start, I know this sounds gross, but I want you to understand this. This was not an antiseptic thing that Jesus Christ did. It was not a, a, a sanitary thing that he did when he went to the cross of Calvary. He didn't, he didn't die some bloodless death for you. He gave his life. I, I mean, he bled so much walking up the hill of Calvary. He bled so much before he even got to that hill. Some people say it's, it's amazing that he was even able to climb the hill, much less drag the cross halfway before they gave it to somebody else. And that he could hang there on the cross, that he even had the presence of mind to carry on a conversation with the two thieves and promise that one of them, the one that was repentant, that they would have salvation and eternity. 
that he was able to uh, even ask God to forgive all these people, that he was even still conscious. It was amazing because of all the stuff that he went through for me and for you. You ever notice when you clean up a mess, a lot of times the first thing you got to do is make a bigger mess? You know what I'm talking about? Clean out your garage. What's the first? I mean, somebody walks up to your house as you're cleaning out the garage, and if you're halfway through, it doesn't look like you've cleaned anything, right? That's, that's the way it is with this. It is because of all the mess that we have pulled into our lives and all the stuff that we've built and created in our lives, it doesn't look good when God's halfway through with us. I mean, when we're there just dealing with the sin and we're talking to God about the sin and all the, all the mistakes that we've made and all this junk, hey, it's not a pretty place. Here on this altar, there were five sacrifices that were, that were burned on it. It was the burnt offering, which was actually an animal of some kind. Different kinds of animals could be used. And then there was the grain offering. We talked about that last week, and one of the devotions was this week about the grain offering. That was the only one that was not a blood sacrifice, that, that grain offering. And then there was the peace offering. It was also, it was a blood offering. It was an animal of some kind that you would bring. And then there was the sin offering, and there was the trespass offering. And, 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 and I didn't understand, you know, reading these, you know, I'd say, why a sin offering and a those are the same things in my mind, you know, because when I was a kid and I learned how to say the Lord's Prayer, remember you get to that part where you say uh, you want forgiveness of your trespasses and you forgive those who trespass against you. And sometimes, you know, you just stick the word sin in there instead of trespasses because trespasses and trespasses against you, you know, kind of tongue twisted a little bit there. You just say, because sin and trespass is the same thing, right? Well, you see, I, I, that's the way I saw it. So I started studying. I had to look back and I started, you know, trying to find out what some other guys thought and some theologians said and some people who knew about Hebrew law. And, and you know what? They didn't have a consensus. Some of them said this, some of them said that. But the, the best thing I could get out of kind of all of this is that the sin offering was more like the mistakes that we make in our life and we don't understand. You know, like we're all born in sin and you grow up doing things and eventually you hopefully come to the realization, wait a minute, I've been committing sin. This is wrong. God convicts you in your life and you say, oh, I've been committing sin. But the trespass offering is something beyond that. Y'all ever seen a no trespassing sign? You know, you know what that means, don't you? Don't go past that sign. So you know what? That, there's not a, if you see a no trespassing sign, you know if you step one foot beyond that, you're breaking that command that was there. And so the trespass offering was, was, an, was an offering made to God or a prayer made to God, forgive me because I didn't slip up. I didn't make a mistake. I was rebellious. I trespassed. I did. I knew you didn't want me to do this, God, and I did this. That's going to be important at the end of this message. Okay, that's why I, I, I just I just want to throw all that in there on you. And so you know, so here are all these offerings that are being offered, and you know, I can't say that that this offering was a calf, and this offering was for a goat, because or that this offering was a dove, or those kinds of things. Because you know what? Here's what God requires of us: what we're able to bring. You know, he doesn't require somebody to bring a calf if all you can afford is a dove. If that's where you are in life, you know what I thought, I thought about that in a lot of, a lot of ways, you know, that, that God's a good God, you know, he, he, he doesn't require us to do more, you know, and, and I thought about that in our worship as well. You know, and sometimes I look around, people worshiping, and I, I can't hardly look around where I sit, you know, I kind of have to just, kinda, you know, just catch a little bit, hear a lot of stuff going on behind me. You know, and I, I think about the worship that's going on, and, and some people are worshiping just really intense in their spirit and their heart, and some people are a little bit more animated like me, and some people are like my buddy Justin that's standing behind me. 
And you know what? I, I, I'm, just, I'm thinking, I just think uh, there was a lady, and y'all have heard me tell this story about this, this, this lady in Enterprise, and you just think of this about her all the time and about how you, did, you just didn't understand people would, people would see her and the, and the way she worked. And now listen, uh, Justin can't hold a candle, this lady I'm talking about. And, and this lady worships. And, 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 you know, people wouldn't understand her. But if you just go ask her for a moment, <laughs> here, here, let me just ask the question right here. Justin? Has God saved you from a lot? A lot, isn't it? I mean, that's it, isn't it? That's what it is. That's why you owe him a calf. You don't owe him a little turtle dove on Sunday, do you? You owe him a calf. You owe him a book. You owe him something big. You know what? Sometimes I think some of us, we didn't get saved from enough. Ooh. Amen. Boy, that got quiet. Y'all were laughing with me a second ago. We didn't get saved from enough. And you know what? I've been saved from a lot of stuff. Drug abuse, alcohol addiction, 14 wives. You know, a life of, of sin and debauchery. And no, I didn't have all that stuff. I was saved from it. You see, that's what I do a lot of times. I'm standing there. And I look back. I, I said this last Sunday in my message. But let me go say, can I say it again? Just a little testimony. I stand there and I remember the, the rebellion in me. In some of my years, in my teen years, I remember even becoming an adult and I remember walking after God and still trying to do it my own way a little bit. I remember some of those things and I look around me and I see so many people that did the same things and that God, uh, you know, for some reason, he just held on to me a little tighter and I stand in, in his presence and I say, God, why did you do this for me? And I just, and I'm amazed. I'm amazed that God cares enough about me that even through my rebellion, he was hanging on and he was pulling me back. And even when I was serving him and still doing some of the, he was just hanging on and pulling me back. And, and, and then I, I get overwhelmed again and I have to glorify him a little bit more. And whether you do it loud or you do it quiet, it's not about that. That's not what worship is. Whether you do it with your mouth or with your heart, that's not what worship is. But God requires whatever, whatever it is you're capable of giving, God requires. And for people like me and Justin, he requires a lot because he saved us from a lot. You see, here's the, here's the whole thing about this. I just want you to know that this inner court area was a bloody place. It was bloody. It was dirty. It was not, it was not, it was not just clean. It was not just white. It was not just, I mean, the brass was beautiful before the first person showed up with their sacrifice on the feast days. It was pretty. Man, they had it, those priests had it polished all up. But as soon as they started slaughtering animals, there was blood everywhere. It was a, it was a bloody place. So I got to talk about those priests for a few moments. I got to talk about them because, you know, the priests, they didn't stand there and say, hey, bring that bloody thing up here and just, 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 you know, y'all handle that. No. The priests, they were in the middle of that stuff. There's guys with a knife digging in and ripping out and pulling and getting all that stuff all over them and up to their elbows and intestines. And yeah, I want, you know, I don't know if that offends you. Does it offend you to watch the passion of the Christ? It ought to, just a little bit. Because you ought to remember that's your sin. That's your sin that that blood was spilled for. And when, when if I talk to you about the, the priest being, that's your sin. You see, I, you need to understand this. As we, we sometimes we look at priests and, 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 and listen, the temple is our body. And so you're the priest of that temple. 
But you know, we've got other temples. I mean, right here, this is like a temple where we gather a couple of times a week. And there are priests of this temple. There are staff members. There's a student pastor sitting right over here, a worship pastor. There's a kid's pastor downstairs. There are priests of this temple. In, in your home, the, the, the male head of the house, if there's not a male there, the, whoever the head of the house is, God has made the priest of that home. They have, you know, sometimes other people have to step in the place, but God has made the male the head of the house. And so he is, he's the priest of that home. And when you've got a true priest, that true priest, you know what they're doing? They're not standing saying, well, that, that's your problem to deal with. You know, that's, I'm not going to get, but, but the true priest is rolling his sleeves up and willing to get in the middle of your sin. And when you, when you, when you see that you've got a priest like that, come on, when you see you've got a youth pastor who's willing to, to help you dig into the middle of the sin of, of your kids, when you see it, man, you need to appreciate that because you need to understand that's not their blood. That's not their blood that they're dealing with. That's your sin. That's your blood. That, that, that is your sacrifice. You need to say, thank God. In your home, if you've got a, if you've got a husband, if you've got a dad who is willing to, to be serious about the sin that is in it, you need to be thankful for having that kind of a dad. You know, it's easy to look out at other churches and other pastors and, and wonder, why don't they do more for real People with real problems. Why don't they hurt more? Why don't they do more? You know why? Because we got them hanging around us, bandaging all of our little hangnails. And, you know, Pastor, I got a headache. Would you bring me some Excedrin? To, you know, I'm exaggerating, but just a little bit. Come on, amen. Oh, you're getting quiet on me. I told you what the old preacher said. He said, when they get quiet, you're hitting them where they live. Now just nail them to the wall. Y'all need me to nail you to the wall here, right here. Come on, this is, I mean, it would be, there's a lot of preachers out there, and I said, why don't you do, but you know what? They don't have any time to help a guy through a drug addiction because they're too busy bandaging our little boo-boos. They don't, they don't have anything left because we drain everything out of them with the little insignificant, stupid stuff that happens to everybody, and we drain that out of them. And then when an alcoholic walks in the door, the pastor says, I don't have time to deal with something. I don't have anything left in me. Oh, God, give us some ministers who will roll up their sleeves and get in that and tell the people with boo-boos, say, just go find you a Band-Aid. You're old enough to do it yourself. I got one amen. If you, if you've got, you need to appreciate that kind of a, and understand that that's, that's what they're there for. The, you're, you're there to do your own best you can. They're there to help you the rest of the way. Because here, let me tell you the real, let me tell you the real risk for a minister when he gets covered in all that blood. He is risking the repugnancy of your sin. I meant, you know, if me saying get up to his elbows in intestine, if that, you know, offends you a little bit. Picture your priest with his arms that way. If you've got a youth pastor willing to do that, you understand what happens. When they walk through those places with you, it, it, and I'm telling you this because we've had it happen. We've walked uh, literally through the valley of the shadow of death with people, and then they get to the other side, and all of a sudden they say, well, Pastor, thanks for helping us put our life back together. We're going to go find somebody else that's clean, though. You know, you got a lot of stuff on you right now. You know, we shared some secrets with you that we don't really want our pastor to know. And the ministers are risking losing the opportunity to minister to you by just being involved in the repugnancy of your sin. 
and being repulsed by your, th- just, just, you, you just even being repulsed by the thought of having them minister to you. Yeah, it happens. Pray that, pray that this never happens in your family, in your life. But it's happened. I've been, I've been rejected. I've been rejected uh, as a pastor for people that, you know, that I've delivered a Bible to in a jail cell. You know, people that attended my church that I took a Bible to them in the jail cell, but once I visited them in the jail, they couldn't, I couldn't be their pastor anymore. I'd, I'd been too involved in their dirt and praying them through some stuff. I've been rejected by, by people who, you know, that I, I've sat in the principal's office with them, uh, with their kid, begging the principal, give them, just, give them just one more chance, even though you found drugs on them one more time in school, give them one more chance. And then their parents reject me as their pastor. Been rejected. Yeah, by the, by the guys that, the guy that I, I rode in the back of the ambulance with and physically helped the ambulance attendant hold down on the cot because he was so high on drugs he had no idea where in the world he was at. And rejected by him. Why? Because I'd gotten the blood of his sin on me. See, when a priest does that, they're doing it for you, but when they do that, they're risking, they're risking the rejection of the ones they are actually ministering to. And it happens every day for real priests. Not the ones who want to stay good looking on Sunday morning, but the real priests who are willing to risk the blood every day of the week. And if you see that in your student pastor, you better go give them a pat on the back and say, I'm praying for you. You see that in your kid's pastor. If you see that in in your dad or your mom, you better be thankful that you've got that in there. They are risking the blood. And it's because of this filth. The next thing, the next article that is in this next structure is the the laver here, full of the water. Now, this this laver that's full of water, they had to have a lot of water to clean up all that blood. And it says it was born on the back or held on the back of 12 oxen, and they were made of brass as well. And so, you know, really beautiful thing there. And it says that it held 2,000 baths. Now, you know, that's, you know, like for the I daughter T crosser guy that I am, you know, if God had told me to build it that big, I'd have said, God, I got to have a little more, uh, you know, a little more than that. You know, tell me how many, how many gallons you want in this thing? Hold 2,000, I don't know how many 2,000 baths is, but that's a lot, you know. Because all of us and, and 1,900 more people could take a bath, you know, out of the water that's in there. So that's a lot of water, okay? And then they had to have a way to take this water over to the other parts of the inner court because that's where the sacrifice, the sacrifices were happening all around. And so they had these basins, and each one of these basins held 40 baths, again, however much that was. And so that's, pretty, that's a pretty big thing. I mean, that's, I guess in a way you could say the size of 40 bathtubs or whatever, and on these little carts, and they could go from the, the laver where they gathered the water to the place where the washing needed to happen. And it could go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, uh, just to, to continue to clean and clean and clean because sacrifices were happening all over that temple ground. Even though, you know, it looks really pretty and looks really pristine, sacrifices were happening all over that temple ground. And so here we find ourselves between the altar and the laver. And here we are at the first stop. And if, if we want to get it, it's just right in there are the awesome things that, that God is wanting to give to us. But here's the first stop. And so let's talk about this washing now if we can. 
And I could give you, I could give you the scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. You know what it says there? It talks about how holy God is. And because God is holy, you need to be holy. Now, when I grew up, my dad didn't always tell me why I had to do things. Sometimes he said, because I said so. Don't you hate that? Didn't you hate that growing up? Because I said so. But you know what? Guess what? That's, that's right. It was because he said so. It didn't matter, it didn't matter if I understood or agreed. <laughs> it's because he said so. And if that's the way it was in my house with my dad, then how much more so in this world with God? That if God says, because I said so, that's enough. You don't need anything else. So I could just take you to 1 Timothy and say, because he is holy, you're supposed to be holy, so cleanse yourself. That's enough. Because he says it right there. That's enough. That's enough reason for you to cleanse yourself every day, for you to wash, for you to keep yourself clean. That's enough. But he gives us more. So let me take you to some of that. In 2 Corinthians, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves. I mean, isn't God supposed to wash us clean? He's not just talking about the initial. He's talking about the clean. He's talking about a, a constant. He's talking about a daily sanctification. He's talking about cleansing ourselves from the thing. You have a responsibility in this. It's not just God forgiving you of your sin, washing all your, you have a responsibility in this. Therefore, because we've got these promises, let's cleanse our, what are the promises? Oh yeah, we're going to get some promises. There are promises in cleansing yourselves, but back up and see what the promises are in chapter six. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Okay, we're the temple of God. And we're not supposed to be connected with idols or false things or things that are outside of God. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Here's what God, God says. I am going to dwell in your midst if you will cleanse yourself. You, you know, this is awesome to be in church together every Sunday, isn't it? Wouldn't it be awesome to have God's presence every day of the week, every moment of every day of the week? You know how you get it? Cleanse yourselves, he says, and I will dwell among you. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. I'll be your father. I will dwell if you will cleanse yourself. And then in the book of Timothy, he says, uh, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, when he says if he will cleanse themselves from the latter, he's referring back to the previous two verses and where he's talking about unclean vessels. We're all vessels. You know what that means? That means we can all be used for something good or bad. And if we're going to cleanse ourselves, you know, what he's saying is, is if we want these, if we will cleanse ourselves from the unclean vessels that surround us, the, the bad influences, the, the, the friends that we shouldn't be hanging out with, uh, the, the, the TV channels we frequent, the websites we frequent, anything out there that is a, an unclean vessel, a bad influence, if we will cleanse ourselves from it. Look what he says. He says, we will become a vessel for honor. You remember, I, I thought about this in the early service about Job. You remember when the devil went to God and said, God, you don't have anybody that's following after you. And God said, you consider my servant Job. If you could imagine, this is what he's saying. He says, you could be a vessel for honor that God would throw his shoulders back and say, what about him? You know, that if the devil goes to him today and says, you don't have anybody in Mount Olive. You don't have anybody in North Jefferson County, sir. You don't have anybody in North Summerton area. You don't have anybody in Leeds, Moody, and McCullough. You don't have anybody that's uh, serving you. And God can just throw his shoulders back and look at you and say, yeah, I got a vessel of honor. 
and be proud. This is what, if you will cleanse yourself, you will become a vessel of honor in his, in his eyes that he can use for great things. And then one last, uh, one last place we'll go in First John chapter 3. says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. What's the hope? We've got a hope. If, if, we, if we cleanse ourselves, there's, what is the hope? Let's back up the first two verses. It says this, Behold what manner of love the Father's bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. We have the hope of being called the children of God. If we cleanse ourselves, we have the hope of being called the children of God. Verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we're going to be one day. I mean, right now, you know, the best you and I can hope for is being sinners saved by grace. I mean, that's the best we can be on this side of eternity. But it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He, Jesus Christ, is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I don't know what we're going to be like when we get there, but everything is going to be different when Jesus Christ appears. When this life is over, when we're on the other side of uh, of this separation from eternity, things are going to be different. You know, I mean, now you're trying to live a righteous life and you're trying to cleanse yourself, but. In that day, even, even the temptation, even the desire, even the, the want to will be taken from you that you won't even want to. I mean, even the possibilities of, because we're going to be just like him. But if we're going to have that hope to be with him for eternity, for him to be our father, for us to be his children, to be part of his family, then what do we have to do? We have to cleanse ourselves. We have to cleanse ourselves. And so... The last, most of this sermon was all about the first. But the title was The First Stop. The First Stop. Because, see, we evangelicals, uh, we believe that there must be a time in your life where you stop and say, you know what, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. There has to be a time. And now... Uh, and part of there, I give you a lot of I give you a lot of arguments. You want to argue about it? We'll talk about it after church. I'm going to argue about it in service. I give you a lot of argument. Let me give you one verse of scripture here in First John. I'm actually, going to look at verse eight, and then we're going to jump to verse nine because I want to set this up. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not. If you say you don't have any sin, you are deceiving yourself, and the truth is not in you. Every one of us is a sinner. All of, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want you to get that. Because verse 9, here it is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess. It is not enough. You don't just wander around in the inner court and get forgiven of your sin. You've got to be a partaker of the sacrifice. There are some awesome people at 2911 but hanging out with them every Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes is not going to make you a Christian. It'll lead you to becoming a Christian. Oh, you know, have lunch with with some of us every day of the week if that's what it takes. It'll lead you to it, but it will not make you a Christian. You cannot hang around the things of God long enough that you become righteous, you become holy, you become forgiven. And it amazes me, the testimonies that I hear my dad and one of my former pastors, Brother Williams, that's here. They could, they could give you the, I'm sure they've got the same testimonies. People 30, 40, 50, 60 years old that say, I grew up in church. I just always thought I was a Christian. 
Word says, if we confess. You can't wander past. You can't just walk. You can't just stroll past the sacrifice, the the altar, and the laver, and hope you become a Christian. Well, there's the sacrifice. I guess I did. There come. There has to be a time in our lives that we stop, and that's why today we stop. We're stopping. We're taking this first stop. We're not going any farther in this walk into the presence of God than right here, the first stop. And everyone has to say, I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. Would you stand with me, please? I want to ask everyone, please, if you will possibly, if you can possibly, if you will please, would you move to the front with me? We're going to close right here in prayer. And we're going to sing one last song too. And and if you're not physically able to come and stand with us, come sit on the front pew, the front chair with me. Squeeze on in. We've got a a good crowd here this service. Squeeze on in. uh, Prayer team members, raise your hand. If you're going to need prayer in a moment, you need to see where these hands are. Raise your hand just a little bit longer. Okay? If you need prayer in a moment... Listen, if you don't remember where they are, just get my attention and say, I need prayer. This is an individual prayer. But if you just need some help praying. I mean, some of you may just be worn out. You've been praying so long, you're just worn out. Somebody help me. I, need, I just need a little extra strength. Help me pray. I need that sometimes. So if you need that, it doesn't, it's not talking about how deep your sin is or something. Get my attention. Get one of these. Just, just walk up. You don't even have to make a production out of it. You can walk up and just grab one of them by the hand. I guarantee if you grab one of these prayer team members by the hand, they'll know what you mean. They'll, start, they'll help you pray. But who needs to pray this morning? Ah, just them sinners. They ain't never been a Christian. They know all of us going to pray this morning. Because we all need to stop and accept the grace that has been offered to us. You say, I've been a Christian 30 years. Yeah, I'm going to get on you real good right here in a second. First of all, let me tell you who needs to pray this morning. Stop at this. If you've never been a Christian ever in your life, you've never made this first stop, today's your day. Stop with us because we're all praying this prayer and say, I'm a sinner. I have messed up. I have not only sinned, I have trespassed. I have done some stuff I knew was wrong and I need a Savior today. And He's already died for me. You don't have to get dirty. He's already died for you. All you got to do is say, I need a Savior. God, please let that sacrifice you made on the altar, which was the cross of Calvary, let that pay for all of my sin. But then tell you somebody else needs to pray this morning. Some, some of us need to pray in a renewal of our relationship. Because, yeah, we, we pray, we got right with God, we started walking in the right way, but then we started walking some other ways too. We hadn't really been praying in a while. We hadn't read our Bible in a while. We, you know, just kind of been going through the motions, coming to church. Today's the time. Stop right here with me. Renew relationship. Look back up to that altar and remember the Savior that hung on the cross of Calvary. Don't see the pictures that they hang in the pretty places, you know, of Jesus. See the real picture, the, the passion of the Christ picture and the, the pain and agony. And, and, and renew relationship with Him today. And in some of us Christians, we just flat need to talk to God about some sin and some trespass. We do. I mean, there's some stuff that we've just been doing. And we know God's not pleased with you. You've been doing it anyway. It's just sin and trespass stuff. And you need to talk to God about it. We've stopped right here. We all need to talk. we got some stuff to talk about. Now, if you're noticing, I only talked to people who hadn't been a Christian in one line up here. I've already hit us Christians twice. I'm going to hit you one more time. 
Because some of you may say, well, Pastor, I don't know a single thing in the whole world between me and God. I can't think of one sin. I've been standing here thinking about it for a few moments. I can't think of anything that he's upset with me about. Then do a Job prayer this morning. You know what Job did? Regularly. You remember, you remember what he did? Regularly he sacrificed. And the word says, it may be. He sacrificed just in case his family had committed sin and they hadn't yet repented. And I do that. You know what? I, I might miss a day here or a day there, but almost every day, and it just said he does it regularly, but I do it just about every day. I plead the blood of Jesus over my family, and I don't mean just my wife. I mean everybody that's coming down through my lineage. I pray. I say, God, if there's any sin in my family... I plead the blood of Jesus over it. And you convict us of it, Lord. We want it to be right. Convict us over it, Lord. And forgive us today. Don't let there be anything between us. I want everything. That's what Job did. He didn't want there to be anything. Because you know what? Next week, I'm going into the temple. Next week, I'm going through those doors. Next week, I see, I know where the sermon's going next week. Next week, I'm going to talk about my, my family needs and my financial needs and, my, and, and my, the health needs in this church and some of the other stuff that you guys are doing. Oh, that's where we're going next week. I, I don't want to have to sneak in the back door because there's not one. I want to boldly walk through the front doors of the temple and say, God, can you do this for me today? Come on, bow with me. If you need somebody to help you pray, just go grab one of these. Or get my attention, I'll send somebody in a hurry.